Welcome to the Institute, a podcast of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm Melissa Clay, Communication Specialist. In this episode, Coordinator for Faculty Programs, Philip Hollingsworth, speaks with Faculty Fellow Sam Amago, Bowman and Gordon Gray Distinguished Term Professor of Spanish and Chair of the Romance Studies Department. They discuss metafiction and Spanish film, particularly that of Pedro Almodovar, whose body of work leads to an examination of garbage and its cultural representations in 20th century Spain. For more on this, check out the Humanities Happy Hour series focused on the census in a partnership with Carolina Public Humanities. Amago is the next featured scholar in Seeing Trash, Aesthetics and Waste in Modern Spain. September 27th at 6 p.m. at the back bar of Top of the Hill. How would you describe your general uh, research area? So the classes that I teach in the Department of Romance Studies are on modern and contemporary Spanish fiction, film, cultural studies. So each semester I'll teach a sort of a survey course on literature, and then I'll also teach a, a film studies course. And depending on the level, we'll study film uh, theory, ways to think about doing cinema studies, how to theorize the way that meaning is made through visual and audio sources. Did you start out studying literature and then moved into film, or were you more of a film studies person? Or how did yeah, that, how did that's that a good evolve? question. So a lot of us who do um, Hispanic film didn't do PhDs in, in film studies, so we, mm-hmm. we began in, in more traditional departments of um, you know literature and cultural studies, and um, so I went to UVA, and it's a pretty traditional program, and I did a dissertation on uh, metafiction in the contemporary Spanish novel, and that became my first book. How would you define metafiction? Robert? So metafiction Sorry. is fiction that draws attention in some way to the process of writing fiction. Mm -hmm. So it's literature about literature. So as I was wrapping up that project on novels about writing novels and thinking about how the the writing of fiction draws attention to narrative and how narrative comprises a lot of the things that we do as human beings in terms of our identities, the way that we tell stories about ourselves, about our places in the world. It sort of logically led to thinking about how meta-cinema works, and so I started thinking about um, how Pedro Almodovar, for example, you know, draws attention to the cinematic apparatus and how the cinema invites us to to view the world in certain ways and, yeah. and the way that also we view ourselves through a lens and, and sort of creating critical distance from our identity and our behaviors. And I started teaching myself about how to do cinema studies mm-hmm. and, you know, starting from the basic books by, you know, Bordwell and Robert Stamm and, and reading a lot of theory. And so my second book ended up being sort of a dissertation I like to look at it as my dissertation on film studies where I I had to start from scratch and just sort of teach myself the methods and the theories of film studies. So then 
I was able, when I moved here to Carolina from Notre Dame, the colleagues wanted me to teach more courses in, in cinema because we hadn't had a lot of film studies classes. So I started incorporating that into my undergraduate teaching and then graduate teaching. Now it's part of me. Yeah. If I were to want to get into Spanish film, a, not an Almodovar film, mm-hmm. because you always hear him first, what what should I go to first? What would you suggest? Um, well, given or your... Or one of your favorites. Well, um, yeah. One of my favorites is, um, you know, Almodovar. You've you've prohibited me from talking yeah. about Almodovar, but he was my <laughs> he was my way. Let's in go beyond. Yeah, to the cinema. I mean that that's the first Spanish language film I saw. I think after mm-hmm. like Water for Chocolate, it was. Like <laughs> yeah, and he's always he's he's in you know the high school curricula. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, I've included him many times. What I like about Almodovar, even though you've told okay. me that I cannot talk about Almodovar. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, the way that his movies reward repeat viewings. And, yeah. You know, the, they're, you can identify with the characters, um, and they are, you know, in many respects, you know, sort of light entertainment. But when you return to them, you start to notice embedded cultural, political meanings about how people live in the world and about Spain's transition to democracy in the 1980s mm-hmm. and then in the 1990s and 2000s about how the country has engaged with its conflicted historical memory and um, sort of uncovering the, the secrets of the past and how all of those things are given form through his film narratives. There are other filmmakers, you know, that share some of the attention. Um, I've been working a lot on documentary film okay. lately, yeah, um, especially avant-garde documentary film from the the, the periphery of the country. Okay. So, documentary from Galicia mm-hmm. and Catalonia, okay, and and even Portugal. And and this was sort of. Um, an area that I didn't address in my book on Spanish cinema in the global context, mm-hmm. which centered mostly on commercial and, and mainstream meta cinema. And it's very interesting how these filmmakers outside of the, the sort of Castilian tradition are um, using new modes of digital production and distribution in order to sort of carve out a niche for themselves in international art cinema circuits and festivals and making visible these sort of heretofore invisible zones in the periphery of the country. So how do you find these things when they're on the periphery, when they're, you know, not... You know, this, these things are being made outside the U.S. Mm-hmm. It's a good question. It's like, how do you find these things? Well, I'm struggling with this question right now in yeah. this essay that I'm writing. And, you know, we have a very well-funded and staffed media resource center in the library here at UNC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we have some stuff, but it becomes really difficult to get short documentary films shot in Galicia in Galician, right? <laughs> right, yeah. And um, Winifred Metz has helped me sort of get in contact with some of the producers and the okay. directors. Yeah. But also, interestingly, Twitter has become oh, a, wow. a way of getting into touch with um, filmmakers. So mm-hmm. I was able to track down two um, 
you know, they're they're important in this in this area. Uh, filmmakers through their Twitter uh, feeds, and so I, I got in touch with them, and they said, you know, send me an email, and and then they sent me links to to their private Vimeo um, accounts, and they gave me passwords, uh, and so oh, yeah. I was able to get access. And they also provided me with additional sort of peripheral materials, wow. you know, readings, links to to other work, and so. Seems like they're pretty excited to share that. They're, they I, are. I, I, I'd imagine they'd be mostly receptive, right, to you requesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they were happy to to share this, but for me, it, it was fun to get into touch with these people who are sort of laboring in a lot of anonymity. Yeah, and then you know, so the periphery is is only invisible when you're standing at the center, but then when you move to the periphery and you meet these filmmakers where they are and where they're doing their work, yeah, it becomes very visible and there's a community there that's working and they are really open to to the outside. And so or or you know, so in in which case the periphery for them is is the the sort of centrist Castilian, you know, hegemony. Mm-hmm. So, you know, on the one hand, it's difficult to get access, but once you're there, you're it's it's a it's very easy to move around and, and to make connections. Do you have a favorite Almodovar film? I right now it, it depends on the on the time of year and the, the 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 point in the semester. I like Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, and and again, this is a movie that a lot of us saw on VHS in yeah, high school Spanish classes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or you know, in intro Spanish lit- language courses. But it again, it's a movie that if you go back and, and watch it again, you start to see some of the ways that Spain is modernizing, not only in terms of gender identities and sexual relations, um, but also in terms of urban space and evolving forms of domesticity and women yeah. in the workplace and and also the evolving role of audiovisual media in the Spanish um, project of modernity. And so, you know, that movie is about people who work in the motion p- picture industry dubbing foreign or foreign, which are Hollywood films into Spanish. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the, some of the first images we see are people standing in front of microphones, much like these ones, and, um, you know, sort of reinscribing dominant Hollywood cinema for Spanish viewers. When you were a fellow in the spring, was that, you had clips of that particular movie in relation to your current project. Do you mind talking about that a little bit? Sure, yeah. So, again, watching Mujeres al Borde de un Ataque de Nervios for the 40th time, I noticed in the mise-en-scene this repeated insistence on detritus, cast-offs, trash, garbage. And there are these characters who are constantly trying to get rid of things that either remind them of the past or that compromise them in some way in the present. And so I started to think about, you know, what, why is this movie that is, uh, you know, on the surface, it's a relatively lighthearted, you know, romantic comedy um, it's uh, it's sexy, it's you know light, it's buoyant, but then at the same time you have this sort of um, background of of trash and garbage and you know getting rid of stuff and and there's also some violence attached to 
to these these things that these characters are trying to get rid of. Mm-hmm. And so like all good projects, it began talking to colleagues in my department about, you know, what do we do with trash? And, and I was talking to Juan Carlos Gonzalez Espitia, who was mm-hmm. your dissertation director, and yeah. he's super into, you know, the archive and sort of digging in and finding the stuff that's been forgotten, you know, yeah. al fondo in the, in the deep, you know, recesses of, of the library or, you know, things that have been forgotten by the culture. And he's, he's said, you know, why don't you look into, you know, what's going on in Spain at this time? What's happening with trash? And so I started going into the, the digital archive um, of elpais.com and ABC and some other, um, you know, national publications that were publishing, um, you know, newspapers and magazines at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on the one hand, yes, Madrid was rapidly modernizing and people were, there was a lot of construction and rehabilitation of the city centers. And so that explains some of the construction debris that you see in the background. Yeah. But then also there were these sort of skirmishes as uh, between local, regional, and national authorities about infrastructure and consolidating waste collection and disposal. So, you know, in the in the 80s, if you read the newspapers, there's actually a lot of material in there about unregulated dumps throughout the city mm-hmm. and and you know, where are we going to put the the detritus? And of course, people don't want it in their communities, so then you you get into questions of of class and and the economics of waste in, in the country. So, you know, the working class neighborhoods in the South become the recipients of a lot of this consolidation. Right. So, you you know, you watch a, a, a film that is relatively light, but then you start digging and, and you come up, come up with a lot of really interesting uh, material. It's like doing a cultural archaeology of the Spanish past and present through garbage as it appears sometimes accidentally, but sometimes purposefully in the background of these films. What's a book that changed your life? (laughs) I would say that I've been influenced a lot by Kurt Vonnegut, especially in his metafictional engagements with violence, war, and and memory in Slaughterhouse Five, yeah, and, and and that those moments in which the the narrator says, you know, that was me, that was I, that was the author of this book, and that was sort of one of the generating readings that I did when I was in high school that that sparked my interest in in metafiction. I've also been influenced by Toni Morrison's engagement with memory and history, and mm-hmm. the idea of rememory that she engages with in different books, but especially in Beloved. Yeah. And I've been working a lot on the recovery of historical memory in Spain and how, you know, these memories that were not allowed to be or that were that were either repressed or prohibited from being uttered mm-hmm. through 40 years of dictatorship are now, you know, since 2000 especially, yeah. becoming um, re-remembered and have entered the cultural sphere in really important and compelling ways. There's a lot of people that don't know that much, especially about contemporary Spanish literature in, in that mm-hmm. realm. Do you have a recommendation for, for yeah. um, 
yeah, very Spanish yeah, novel. Yeah, there's so, some really good stuff, but you don't. I mean, yeah, just because I took classes about it, mm-hmm. that's the only reason I know anything about it. I would mention perhaps um, Javier Cercas's novel *Soldiers of Salamis*. Yeah, which was sort. Of, I mean, there were historical metafictional novels about the recovery of historical memory in Spain in the 1970s, 80s, 90s, but this was sort of a novel that that created a zeitgeist around the recovery of yeah. historical memory and it became a massive bestseller it was translated into english it was turned into a well-received film by uh, directed by fernando trueba and it ended up being a chapter in my dissertation on yeah. on historical metafiction there are other f- novels that are maybe more engaging but that have not been translated into English so I won't necessarily mention them but right, um, yeah. Rosa Montero has a novel called La Hija del Caníbal which is a really mm. terrific um, it's a detective novel but it also engages with um, the Spanish Civil War mm. and it's entertaining and you could read it on the beach but you can also do some interesting cultural analysis with it for the way that it draws on the past and drags it into the present. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating time period and even like the contemporary, like the way they're writing about it now and trying to recover and kind of unearth a lot of that stuff. But Mm -hmm. I mean, and it doesn't travel here very often. I think one of the few examples would be like Pan's Labyrinth. Right. And it's just kind of and interestingly, that's yeah. a Mexican director, yeah, right, Guillermo right. del Toro, who's made you know some of the best movies about the Spanish Civil War have been made by him <laughs> in Spain, right. and they are co-productions with you know Spanish yeah. North American financing, and yeah, so we get th- we get that movie, but and but these are a little bit lighter and they're they're more mm-hmm. sort of genre fair science fiction but but they're still plugging into this idea that Spain is haunted by its past and and in that regard you know yeah. using these these sort of gothic motifs and mm-hmm. you know ghost stories like he's got another movie called um, the devil's backbone right and again there's this idea that is actually quite well known in in the the criticism and the theory on contemporary Spanish studies about the idea of Spain being haunted by its past. Which we can translate to now. Here. Yeah. <laughs> Over there. I mean, over the summer, we took a road trip out to California to visit my grandmother, and, and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll get the Hamilton soundtrack, and we'll... Mm-hmm. That'll sort of pass the time, and so and we have two kids. They're eight and, and ten years old, Benny and Joaquin, and and we were you know listening. To, they love they loved it, and so we listened to it like a hundred times. Yeah, and this sparked in all of us this interest in looking at American history, and you know the way that Lin Manuel Miranda like brilliantly weaves in you know a lesson about civics and history and. And also giving voice to people who didn't have necessarily a voice in the writing of American history, especially the women. Yeah. You know, so we're singing singing it and and stopping at bookstores and trying to find the biography that that he based the the work on. And and so, you know, just sort of reading more about um, this crucial part of American history. But one of the things that the founding fathers 
did was they decided to kick the question of slavery down the road. They, mm. they agreed that they were not going to engage with this question, and, and they would leave it for future generations. Oh, wow. And here we are in 2017, and we're still yeah. trying to deal with this very difficult and, um, I mean, they, they didn't want to deal with it then, and we're going to have to deal with it at some point. But yeah. every generation has to engage with it, and here we are. In, we're haunted by that. And we're haunted by our past. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Check back at iah.unc.edu for the latest news on our fellows and upcoming events at Hyde Hall. You can find all our episodes of the podcast on our website as well as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at IAH underscore UNC. <laughs> about uh, well, no, everybody just says it. I, Thanks for coming like over like here, it. and uh, you're not going to be able to talk about what I want you to <laughs> <know>. talk about. <laughs> uh, sorry. Unfortunately, in Spain, it's really hard to like find film directors who have the the, the body of work mm-hmm. and that yeah, and that is he's, quality. He's been prolific, and they're one-offs, you know. And there, yeah. there's some good movies out there, but I mean, if you're going to talk about contemporary yeah, Spanish right. cinema, you have Over to talk a span about. Of time too. Yeah, I mean, he's got like, twenty. Talk about really American good. cinema. You can't mention Scorsese. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Sorry, I was just trying to. Although my Spanish relatives, they're always annoyed that I work on Almodovar, yeah. and, and they have really? more sort of working class popular tastes, and they're oh, they're okay. annoyed that it, he's very. Madrileño, you know. Yeah, and so they're like, you know, what you should be looking at are these these more, you know, sort of vulgar movies that we like. And and like I look I watch those and I'm like, yeah, but those are not good. I don't want to talk, I don't want to talk about those. But they're like this is Spanish cinema too. And I was like, yeah, I guess you're right. I need to put Almodovar into this context. But Yeah. Wow. Well, thanks. This was fun. Yeah.